Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. I invite all of our folks to come up now. I'm inviting up the Benoit family, Krista and Scott. So this morning, what we specifically wanted to do was take time to address issues within the life of the local church. We are in a series right now called Sexuality in the Mission of God. We have been trying to figure out how do we, as the people of Jesus, think through issues of hookup culture? How do we think about homosexuality? How do we think about transgenderism? But this morning, we want to specifically ask, what about sexuality within the life of the local church? What about struggles that single people have as they're trying to follow Jesus with their sexuality? What about married couples and struggles that they have in their sexuality? So we have invited up what I would consider our experts here at Redemption. Uh, These folks, many of them you probably know. I'm going to introduce each of them in a second. Um, So I'm just going to say one more thing before I introduce them. We're doing this panel discussion for two specific reasons. Normally we would have the word opened and preached from a scripture, but this morning we're doing something a little bit different. First off, we want to do this to hear a variety of voices on this topic specifically. Scott and I do not claim to be experts on much of anything, so we wanted to bring other people who have walked alongside of us, and we want you to just hear from other folks of how they are trying to follow Jesus in their own life, in their own journey, in their own exploration of how Jesus actually speaks to all things, including our bodies and our sexuality. So, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to introduce you to each of our panel members today before we jump in. To my left is Krista. Most of you know Krista. Krista is a daughter. She's a sister. She's a granddaughter to her mima. She is born and raised in Hampton Roads her whole life. Yep, yep. She studied at Southeastern Seminary and has an MA in Christian Studies. She serves as our deacon of spiritual formation for women here at Redemption. She's passionate about seeing people grow in Jesus. Uh, she loves to read many books at once. She, which is normal, uh, she loves to run. She loves to drink Bengal spiced tea, which she introduced me to. She loves the Gilmore Girls which Jana loves now. And more recently, Jana and I learned that Krista shares our passion for donuts and cinnamon rolls. So this is Krista. Next we have Eric. And if you know Eric, Eric is a son, a dad, a brother, a husband, a man who loves to disciple people. He's a dear friend of both me and Scott's. Eric is married to Tori who I'll introduce next. Um, Eric is very generous with his time, with his talent, with his treasures. He desires very much to see Jesus, uh, to see people experience Jesus in their own life, in their own healing, in their own story. Um, Eric leads Illuminate, which you'll probably hear more about this morning. That is a a group that Eric actually initiated, founded, and is leading here that uh, is designed to help men as they're seeking to pursue emotional intimacy, healthy sexuality uh, in their 
pursuit with Jesus, along with a lot of other things. A um, couple other quick things about Eric. He loves to work as many jobs as possible. It's a little bit of a joke. Um, I just got my fourth second job. <laughs> pretty excited. I'm right, golf carts. So proof if right there. a golf cart, come talk to me. Uh, he loves serving people. He loves building things. And he also is very good at answering all of my many political questions that I regularly ask him all the time. I'm always non-biased when I answer this. Absolutely, every, every absolutely. Never, never. Next we have Tori. Tori is a daughter, a mom, a wife, a sister. Tori is married to Eric. They have three kids, Ezekiel, Elsie, and Israel. Tori is a children's OT, so she is very gifted, not just in her personality, but actually in her skill set of working with kids, helping families work and serve their children most effectively. Tori is passionate about helping women and couples grow in their marriages and life together. Uh, I love whenever we get to hear from Tori. Tori has a lot of deep wisdom, and she loves just to be able to serve people and see them grow in Jesus. She also loves friends. So if you love friends as much as some of us, talk to Tori. You BFF for some of you. Lastly, we have Scott. Many of you know Scott. He's a son, a dad, a brother, husband, pastor. He is Redemption Church's resident doctor of theology. Uh, Scott is married to Jen. Their one-year anniversary is approaching. Scott has four kids, Maddie, Alana, Owen, and Tyler. Scott loves Jesus. He loves the story of God. He loves seeing people step into their gifting and their role in the story of God. Uh, he does also love reading many books at once. He's a blossoming entrepreneur. And as many of you know, he does love Lionel Messi. And he also loves those New York half moon cookie things. Those of you who know like the half black, half white, he's like, it's like a secret love of his. So if you ever want to serve Scott, get him some of those. So that's our panel. So I'm super excited this morning to have these folks share with you guys. So anybody want to add anything that I missed in your bios? All right. So we're going to start kind of with some higher level broad questions and then We'll obviously drill a little bit deeper as we move through some of these questions. So question number one for you guys is, how was sexuality discussed in your home growing up, in your church culture growing up? And knowing what you know now, how do you wish that could have been different? Yeah, I think my, my parents kind of just assumed that I knew things. Um, I was the youngest of four kids, and so... I did know quite a lot, um, and I learned a lot from, I think, um, non-authoritative uh, people. Um, so that's you know kids on the school bus, that's my siblings, that's um, you know kids my mom uh, did childcare for, and so way before uh, puberty came, like I knew a decent amount about sex, and my parents never. Um, like really talked to me about it. And mm. again, they, they assumed, but so I, I, so I got this perspective of sexuality, like not from a healthy authority, but just from peers. And looking back, I really wished that, um, and I will say my parents were young believers. My dad wasn't even a Christian until I was like 13, 14. Um, my, you know, my mom was a young Christian, and so they didn't really, I don't think they were equipped to, to do a great job. Um, I think they, they did okay considering but they kind of just assumed. Um, and so my parents were never people I could come talk to about sexual issues. 
And so when sexuality started entering into my life, you know, um, at the age of like 10, um, and there was like some abuse things happening, my parents weren't people I could go to and talk to. Mm. Um, in fact, you know, when I was like 12, 13, um, my dad started noticing some like changing habits, right, in my life. And he would mock me for those, and he became a very unsafe person to talk to. And so, um, you know, today we'll probably talk a lot about like, shame, but that just reinforced shame and that reinforced isolation and um, compartmentalization and just all these different things. And so, uh, looking back, I, I would hope that my parents would have been very direct with me, talked to me about sex in a welcoming way, not just have like, you know, maybe like a one-time conversation, like, hey, I explained the birds and the bees, great, now you're good to go, right? But instead, a lifelong, you know, relationship where we can um, just have like an open, warm conversations, and then that just that, and, and those things obviously need to be age appropriate, but change over time. So um, that's what we're trying to do with our kids, and um, again, it's, it's slow moving as they uh, as they're getting older. But yeah. So my context, I grew up in a Christian home, but it was in a a part of the church that was very uh, traditional, very conservative. And so in one sense, we didn't talk about it at all. Uh, or it was very surface, like, here's what the Bible says, don't do it <laughs> and before you're married. And so, and then again, generationally too, I think it had been somewhat culturally taboo to talk about it. Even, and so parents, I think the parent, my parents, their generation were not really equipped uh, to really engage that conversation well with me growing up. And so I didn't get a whole lot of explanation. I was, because of my church background, very uh, isolated, um, separated out from common culture. So, you know, the Christian school kind of bubble. So because of that, I think God really was kind to protect me from a lot of that exposure that was, you know, so that was God's grace. However, that did not still equip me like I would have liked going into an adulthood um, and also prolonged singleness, which we'll get back to at some point. So I, what I would now say, what I wish I had known better, was just, again, that there would have been a much more open discussion of it, upholding it as a good thing, but within the right parameters that the scripture has, has given us and more discussion. Then that also reinforces shame when you slip up or, you know what I mean, when you end up 
being influenced by culture or having something go further than you want it to, it, it reinforces, I can't talk to anybody about this. I can't get help. I have to hide this. Mm -hmm. So that's the culture I think of. One thing that I'm just going to add real quick is that each of these folks in their own journey have studied a lot, read a lot, gone through some counseling and healing in their own journey. So they've really not just have their own story, but they've seen broadly what the church is and isn't doing as it relates to sexuality. So like kind of going from like your own experience into like more broadly the church, how would you guys you have anything to add off of question one how have you seen the church often discuss and handle issues of sexuality sexual sin temptation like how have you seen the church handle that church broadly about this um, and so 
you know, it was just no, no, no. And then when I messed up, it was shame, shame, shame. And I didn't know who I could talk to about it. And then when I got married, it still didn't feel like it was good and right to enjoy this. So there's been a lot of work around that that I've had to do. Yeah, I think they, I don't remember any, at any point, the church saying like, when you get married, your sexual issues will be fixed, right? I, I, I never remember them saying that. However, all these guys I've talked to, who are, especially who are married, like, they all come with that same uh, idea. Like, okay, I've been struggling with pornography and masturbation and these other issues before I got married. So when I get married, all those issues will go away, right? And like, again, I don't think the church has ever explicitly said that. And yet, 95% of the men I talk to have that impression. And so clearly the message is coming out that way. And so, um, you know, I think that, again, just, just alongside the, this is the one, one or the two unforgivable sins, and this is an abomination, and this is, you know, this or this or this, like there's a heavy focus on that, you know, like we said that already, but um, then just this, this immature, this immature perspective that sex is going to somehow be great, again, to reemphasize when you get married, um, without any work. And I think also we just expect the married couple to be equipped enough to talk about it, right? And it's like you, you know which questions to ask and you know where to put blame and where not to put blame and like, and like that's, that's not at all um, a true thing. Um, I don't think we're equipped much at all. Um, and again, and this is not a safe topic to talk about. So, you know, if you're a young married couple, it's not like you can see the other couple who's been married for 10, 20, or 30 years and say like, oh, I can go talk to them about this. It's like, no, this is, this is something that we're gonna have to deal with. Or there's no one else who deals with it. This is just an us issue. We're so isolated, no other couples deal with this. You know, so just having, the, having open dialogues, I think, in the church would improve, I don't know, I think lots of things, but, um, Again, just isolation, shame. It, it seems like just even hearing you guys talk, like that the church broadly, and maybe even for those parents out there, there's all the prohibitions against sex and no positive emphasis on like, here's actually a robust theology of what sex is for, how it's intended, why God has actually given us this expression of oneness in marriage. It's like, no, no, only focus on the prohibitions, only focus on the negative, and then, like you guys were saying, well, you'll figure it out eventually. So I would kind of weigh in on that. So I would agree. So in one way, they, you know, the church has emphasized that and had a high view of marriage, but they haven't equipped them to live out what that means in marriage with sexuality. But then because of that, they have also, in the high view of marriage, have not always had an equally high view of singleness, right? That says that, that, that your sexuality is not what is ultimate. It is actually that in marriage and in singleness, you are both picturing something that God has intended in his story to point us to. And that sexual longing is there for both. But it is, it is um, enacted and lived out differently, right? In a sense, one is waiting because they, we are holding on to the greater that is coming and the and the other is able to express that same longing differently, right? But the church has not always done that well 
from a standpoint of single life and what that looks like in our sexuality. How have you seen the church often discuss and handle issues of sexuality, sin, temptation, etc.? That's about it. That's good. Before we move on, um, I know this was something we had discussed, but part of that question is even the broader, like, uh, how does the church handle sin, right? And that is wrapped up into this. And some of it is like, are we defining sin well, right? And understanding and have a really biblical view of sin, because in some cult, uh, church cultures, you know, sin was the outward act, the actual act. There wasn't a holistic view of that. So how is that affecting my own thought life, fantasy life, all of those things? But then also that temptation itself, which I think even has, was said in the sermon series already, is not sin, but it's temptation to sin. So that, making that distinction as well. You're not sinning if you're tempted, but if you give in to that, then that becomes sin, right? But what's going on in your heart in the first place, right? So understanding sin better in that way as well. Yeah, yeah, I think... You know, I had this conversation recently with somebody who, um, you know, I was talking to them about Illuminate and, you know, kind of just the different things that we're covering. And, uh, you know, Illuminate, by the way, it doesn't just do like sexual stuff. It does, I mean, there's, we have uh, people who are alcoholics. We have people who um, are habitual spenders. We've got people who, you know, just struggle with like a lot of different things. And so I'm explaining this to this guy and, and he asks me and he's like, uh, do y'all, you know, do y'all talk about like gay stuff, right? And it's like, well, yeah, there's some guys in the group who, you know, that's one of their struggles. He's like, ah, oh, I don't know, that, that's an abomination. I, I, I don't think I can talk to y'all about that. And it's like, they think it's an abomination too. Like, that they also agree. And that's not the only thing that's an abomination. There's like 60 different things that's an abomination, like in the Bible. And so it's like, you know, like, like greed, right, is an abomination and injustice is an abomination. And like, like, there's all these different things. So yeah, that's an abomination, we agree, but so is this. And just because they're struggling with it, doesn't make them abominable, right? It's the fact that they're like working through it and like trying to push through it and you know be open about it and you know again all of our issues. So again, that's the distinction between like there's a difference between being tempted and giving into temptation. There's a difference between having a struggle and just committing to it and living in it. Um, so, but I, I don't think people. Sorry. So I just that's just. People don't know these things. Like you assume that they know these things, or they do know these things. They just don't actually believe them and live them out. And so that's why, like, having open dialogue is just such a beneficial thing because you can really flush it out in natural discipleship conversations. Yeah, I think we all have a tendency to elevate certain sins over others in our mind. And if it's not discussed openly in the church, then people who are part of the church assume that the church agrees. 
So if we're not talking about the fact that sexual sin is just like any other sin, whether it be you know within your own mind and thought life, or whether you have um, like homosexual tendencies or any other things that you're struggling with, it's all all sin is the same, and we shouldn't be elevating one over the other. And that makes people feel excluded, and it makes people feel like they can't come and share and be a part of the family and talk about you know their struggles openly when we make when we maybe subconsciously in the background make it seem like we don't think they're all the same. So I feel like just having this open dialogue and this sermon series can help be like kind of a springboard for that, um, for people to feel more comfortable bringing their, their own struggles to the light. Yeah, and I think growing up too, like the church I don't think was ever very direct about what is sin and what is not sin. Like they, they and, and what I mean by that is like, yeah, sex outside of marriage, that is sin. Sex inside of marriage, that isn't sin. Okay, I agree. But that's where they stopped. They didn't get like, like more specific than that because if you got more specific than that, then it's like ooey gooey, right? Like, oh, we can't, we can't talk about that. And so I think like it's important for us to be like really, really specific about Yes, this is sin and this is not sin. Like, so like, can you be sinning and having uh, heterosexual married sex? Can you still be sinning? Absolutely. Because what if it's not consensual, right? Um, or what if like while you're having, again, heterosexual married sex, you're actually thinking about something you did with somebody else, right? Or what if you're using your spouse to, you know, get off so that you can release hormones in your brain so that you can deal with the stress at work, right? Like, like if you're using your spouse, that's still sin. And so I think we just assumed or we just taught in the church, again, these two broad categories, sex in marriage, sex outside of marriage, and we weren't specific. And so, you know, growing up as a teen, it's like, okay, well, if I, if I, if I lust, is that sexual sin? Or if I masturbate, is that sexual sin? Or if I, like, and I had like these questions and basically, I remember as a kid, like my mom handed me a book and it's like, and again, my mom was not equipped, but the book basically said, if she's not getting pregnant, it's fine. Right? Like that's on like the back cover. And so I was like, oh, well, great. I can do all these other things, right? And, um, you know, obviously I don't agree with that anymore, but um, I think we as the church need to be like really specific about Yes, this, and, and with our kids, too, when we're talking about them. Because um, there's a lot of mixed messages. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's okay if you have different opinions, but, like, I mean, I think masturbation is sin um, when you're married or when you're not married. Um, looking at other people have sex, I think, is, you know, sexual sin. I think looking up specific images of people just to uh, excite yourself, right, um, whether they're nude or not, um, is still sexual sin. So I think um, we as the church just need to be specific and equip our children um, and our friends, our you know, married spouses, to be you just know what sexual sin is and isn't. Yeah, I think there's—it's <coughs> not just a gooey gooey, but I think in some of those situations, the Bible is not clearly specific. So, like even the things that you just said, other people might think they're okay, right? And yep. like, I can't take you through a chapter and verse on each one of those. Right. So.
Um, one thing I want to say is that God's not squeamish about sex. Mm. He's not squeamish about our questions about sex. He's not squeamish about anything you just said about sex. Like he created it. He made it. And it's a good gift. And we need to stop acting like we should be embarrassed about it. Um, and I think we need to expose ourselves enough to thinking about it and to good literature or good um, like podcasts um, and things like that to be more comfortable actually being able to talk to God and talk to other Christians about how to navigate these things and not being embarrassed that we don't know all the answers um, because that's, that's just prideful. Like We need to be humble enough and as a fa church family we need to be able to receive those conversations and and feel, you know, not, not freak out about it um, because that just perpetuates the problem. Um, and to add on to what Eric was saying, you know, sex is made for intimacy and for knowing each other. And so I feel like anything that's not after that is sin. I feel like we can reduce it to that, that simple. Like if you're just having sex by yourself because it feels good and you're not trying to connect with somebody, I think that's sin. But that's, again, my opinion. Bella doesn't exactly say that. Um, but in all of our work and counseling and reading, it, that has been the way that we've been able to simplify it. Another thing is that, like Eric was saying, just because you're married doesn't mean that the answer to clean everything, every argument, is having sex. And I think a lot of older people in the church and a lot of times leaders in the church will be like, just go have sex, like it'll, it'll make it better, like everything will be better after you have sex, or if you're having an argument, you're having an issue, your husband's stressed out, well, just have sex with him, like he'll feel better, and it's like that, that's just, that's not what sex is for, like it's not to, it's not a coping mechanism for husband or wife to feel better, it's for intimacy, and there are times to refrain when you don't feel like you can actually bring your presence to the table. If you, if you can't be present for sex with your spouse, I don't think you should be having it because you're not, you're not really connecting. You're not being intimate together. Um, so that's something that I've, I've really been working on personally um, because it can really be a struggle when you want to make your, your partner happy. It can be a struggle. Like, when do I say yes? When do I say no? It's really... And then conflict ensues, and we want to be conflict-averse. So it's like, well, I'm going to choose just to do it just so we don't have conflict, but that's not necessarily the right choice. It's the yeah. harder choice. And I tend to be like a people pleaser. I don't want to make everybody happy, especially the people closest to me. So that's been something that I've really had to work on within my own self. Like, how do I, in my integrity, say yes and say no? And even if there are relational consequences, even if he gets mad or, you know, doesn't, you know, is frustrated with me. Like, I have to, in my integrity, say yes right. and no. Like, I can connect that way right now or I can't. Right. And you can't be responsible for the other person's feelings, right? You're responsible for your feelings and your reaction. So she's saying no, she can't, you know, like she can say no with integrity, even if it pisses me off and I go stomp downstairs, right? Yeah. Which has never happened. But that's been the biggest growing point for me personally that I've been on, on my journey working on. And uh, just, I don't know, I think a, lo a lot of people who, who know us know some of our, our background, but just kind of give you just a quick recap. Like, so we got married in 2011 and uh, I had a lot of sexual issues uh, before and thought that it would be healed or answered when we got married. Turns out it wasn't. Uh, I continued in those sexual practices and, you know, uh, again, isolating and I have like this compartmentalization where 
I like to say like 4% of my, my, my life was like over here in this dirty black box that nobody else could see. And 96% of my life, I was just this pharisaical Christian um, until like in 2019, uh, because of a, a friend's you know, situation, I finally opened up to Tori and said like, hey, this is what's been going on um, this whole time. And it was a really hard conversation. I think Tori did an awesome job with it. But that's kind of like our background and that's, so for the last four and a half years, that's what we've been processing through and working through. Um, so four and a half years of uh, a lot of counseling, a lot of meeting with other people, a lot of books read, a lot of podcasts listened to, um, to really fix some of these root core issues that have been going on this whole time. That sexual, um, sexual sin was just the outside working of these deeper internal things that have been happening for you know, our whole lives. That doesn't make us experts, but I guess that makes us experienced. I call them experts. Okay, so we've looked at uh, how was sexuality discussed in your own home. We've looked at how have you seen the church often handle these types of things, sexuality, sin, temptation. But what are you guys seeing right now as the most dominant issues that the church is facing as it relates to sexuality. In one sense, we've already talked through some of these things, but like, what are you seeing as like, these are the issues right now that the church has to figure out how to do business with? As it relates to sexuality. don't know where to start. <laughs> um, so I didn't have a thought and I lost it. Um, so from the standpoint of let's go to prolonged singleness because part of the church I think we're in this recovery or a dominant issue again is well we can go a lot of ways but we've heard in the series um, in culture particularly how much feelings has become the guiding um, direction right? Everyone is very much overcome by feelings, and that is why I, what I live my life like, and honestly, I think that is coming to the church. We are often dominated by our feelings, and so particularly in the area of, of singleness and prolonged singleness is that um, we have to understand that Jesus is Lord over our feelings, right? So that is one way that we could address this, um, and one way I'm beginning to see it more clearly in my own life as well, um, I think we we are seeing also more and more of the church um, giving in and accepting what the world says about sexuality and allowing for it. We're, we're just giving ground. That's really what I see. Um, why do you think they're doing that? Why? Mm. Because it's, again, it's hard to be countercultural. Um we, we have lost our story. What is it for? What is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of being sexual beings, men and male and female in the first place, right? And what is actually ultimate? Is it 
what culture is telling us that our, our sexual happiness is the most important thing or is it something greater? And the church, we are called to be pointing to the greater thing, as we've already said, either in marriage or in singleness. Um, there's more I could go on. I'll pause and let someone weigh in. Or keep going. <laughs> um, well, so the other piece to that, just from personal, you know, you think about culturally, the stigma that you probably are hearing in TV shows, if there's any character that says something along the lines of, I'm waiting, or I'm celibate, or all of that, you hear it, you see it. There's mocking, there's, it's, they're the joke, right? So the church has to understand that is what the culture is telling Christians who choose to stay celibate, and uh, as long as they are not married, what we are dealing with. Right? So from that standpoint, the church has to really equip people in the church, again, to have a healthier view of sexuality and sex so that we are be able to withstand, in a sense, what culture is telling us and to stay true to what God has called us to live out in our singleness. Um, and then I think we also just have to come back to grace it covers our shame because no one's perfect. And so there are plenty of people who know that, what God has called us to in our singleness, but continue to struggle because that is just a part of life and sin. And God is at work in each of us to live that out, but that is not always easy, right? So anyone want to hear? Yeah, and I hold the calling of celebrating sin. Yeah. Like I think the church elevates marriage as like a climax of existence. Mm -hmm. And Paul says, I wish you is amazing, is 
think like helping young people not just look at you know Genesis one male male and female and that's all, but like showing a holistic reason and like why God made it and where our culture is coming from and like the deep roots of it and like the implications of it. I think are tremendously necessary in this day, as opposed to just you know what if we don't do it. Um, so obviously, like, I, I have somewhat of a hobby horse, right, just because this is what I spent a lot of my days thinking about and, and talking to men about. But, like, I think there's a lot of 2018 Eric's in the church, right? Men who, on the outside, look like they're doing everything great. You know, they show up to missional community. They are giving their time and money. They're, they're doing all these things. But they're never fully present with you because they've got this little 4% black box in the back of their mind. And I will say they're never fully present with God. And they're never fully present with themselves. And it is a terrible, torturous life. But if you release these men, right, and they have a chance to actually open up this box and, like, actually come forward, I mean, you're going to see a lot of wholeness with them, a lot of wholeness with their relationship with God, with their spouse, with um, all these things. But I think, like, our churches are filled with these types of men and, and definitely women, too. And... If we allow them the spaces to be open and free to talk about this, I think we're going to um, reduce the power of shame and bring a lot of healing to these people, and um, probably put you know prevent a lot of uh, I call them volcano in, uh, situations where uh, it, the pressure will build up, right, and it will come out some way or another, and it's not it's not going to be you know pretty, right. Um, but like I've been in groups with like pastors who are seeing prostitutes on a daily or not on a daily on a weekly basis, and they will not tell their spouses. Not Nate. Not Nate and Scott. <laughs> Correct. Just to be clear. Just to be clear, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but I, I mean, the, these pastors and they like they will not tell their wives. They will not tell uh, anybody because if they did, it would ruin their lives, and they think that you know they're gonna. Uh, gain the whole world, but, but, but I, I would believe they're going to gain the whole world and lose their soul, right? Like, yeah, they're going to have the lives that they wanted, but they're never going to fully be present with God, and I think there are some consequences to that, but um, I just think there's a lot of people who are like that, um, and that's terrifying to step out in faith and to open up, uh, but, you know, as a person who's walked that, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's the best choice you could possibly make. Kind of a potential closing question. I mean, we still have a couple of things we can talk through, but how do we normalize the struggle with sexual sin, sexual purity? Because what, what we're seeing is that there's shame, there's uh, the black box tendency, which is a great example of that, where like I have this corner of my life that no one knows about that shows that it's not normal to talk about. It shows that people have a taboo, a stigma, that if someone comes and confesses and walks in the light, oh, maybe they're going to be viewed a certain way. So how do we normalize the fact that all of us struggle? 
Some of us more than others. Some of us in specific different ways. For some people, sexual sin is their number one struggle. For other people, maybe it's not as much of a struggle. But how do we normalize that within, in, in one sense, like, I do care about the church at large, but in the sense I don't. I care about Redemption Church. So how do we normalize that here at Redemption? Again, so we're normalizing the struggle. The st we're not justifying the sin, right? Because there's, there's two different things. Because there are a lot of churches who are just compromising and just saying, well, you can do whatever and feel whatever and be whatever, and that's okay. We still love you. All are accepted here, right? Yes, all are accepted here, but we're not accepting the sin, but we're normalizing the struggle, right? And that's... There's, there's a big difference there. So, I, there's a, the way I would go with this is that um, we come back to understanding love, like biblical love, what that really means. Um, we, we've mentioned shame a few times in this, and I wonder how much of uh, understanding the gospel, what we mean about Jesus and the good news of Jesus and how that has freed us and given us a new identity, all that plays into how we see ourselves because shame is telling us for various reasons that we are not enough, that I am wrong. And in that shame is what I think can lead to a lot of sexual sin or or whatever the sin is that we use to dull that pain of the shame that we are dealing with, wherever that comes from. So it's, it's sort of, and then, of course, those practices, those sins compound the shame. But I've, I think we have to understand shame first and how the gospel speaks into that and into our lives. And we cannot do that outside of community. That's why we're saying bring it into the light because community is what's going to tell us and combat in our own minds and thinking that I am not enough when we have all these people accepting and telling us we are loved and we are lovable because of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And if we have that acceptance in God and with a group of people that is telling us that to combat that shame, then I can step in to the light to say, this is where I am. This is why I'm going this way, because I'm believing this, and I need to believe the truth. I think it's important. We don't think next Sunday we need a service of grace, and everyone come on up and share all of their <laughs> sins. Um, and of course, that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I do find it uh, a revealing way to study on loneliness. who answered the survey. Part of the problem why we hide is because we don't have 
very thing I want the most is to be known and to be loved. It's the very thing I work against every single day because it's my skill and my hiding. The very thing you deeply want most as a human being, you regularly work against hiding it. And I find that to be the crazy, crazy power of sin at work. That you deeply want to be known. And yet, you will not come to be known. And so I think, how do you normalize it? I think... Can, can I pause you real quick? Sure. So just because I want, I want you to finish that. But, and that's, I think that's why sexual sin is such a big issue, right? To Scott's point. Like, because sexual sin offers you this chance to be known, right? But it's a lie because it ends up isolating you with shame. And so it's just this, this terrible cycle. And I think the other, some of the, a lot of the other struggles in life, like alcoholism, for example, is the, I can't deal with the loneliness, so I'm going to run away from it, right? And so I think like all the issues, a lot of, I'm going to say all the issues, all the issues go back to that point that Scott's making, that we want to be known and yet we're not. Um, so I'm sorry, go ahead. No. That's good. I, I just think, how you normalize it, you need to find a group of people, of one person, just one person, you can have a deep, intimate relationship with that they know you and you know them. And that they're fully loved and fully accepted. And, and again, I shared this a couple weeks ago, just being newly married, that is hard to come to, even with a wife. You know, it took Shelly and I decade before we were able to like begin to work on these things. And so I don't even think many of us, well, I shouldn't say that. My own experience, it takes time even with your spouse to develop that, mm. let alone other um, people. So I'm just going to say this. If you have a friend and you open up to them and they reject you, that is clue number one. They're not your friend. So go find them. I mean, but there's pain there. Like, there's risk that you have to do. Like, what if I am rejected? Like, that hurts. And I was hurt before as a child being rejected. I never want to experience that again. I, I'm sorry. Like, that, that's, that's true. But it's worth the risk. I think that Stacey always says that love, to love at all is to risk. And so if you don't want to risk, you can hide your heart in a box and then it feel cold and die. But if you want your heart to live Which is a 
complete opposite of what shame tells you. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a selfish, pl- self, shameless, shameless plug for Illuminate. Mm-hmm. I think Illuminate is, uh, if you don't know, it's a, it's a men's group that we meet uh, most Monday nights. And we talk about our struggles. And then we work through some books that are talking about the deeper issues um, and why those deeper root issues are there. Um, and so I'm just waiting for Krista to start Illuminate for Women. Um, but, you know, so. um, I would add too with normalizing that we remember that this is a human problem, not just a male problem. We're, we have said there's, there's women that struggle with these kinds of things. So normalizing it means it's not gender specific, <laughs> right? This is everybody. Um, I think we also normalize it by looking again at how we, as the church, are called to live in male-female relationships. I think we have done a lot of harm in the past with how that has been taught of because it was done in a way out of fear. I can never be with a person alone because they're a man or a woman. And I'm, but that is motivated by fear and not love for my brother and sister in Christ. And so if we reframe, again, relationships within the church of male-female that is biblical from the standpoint of loving one another as we're called to love one another, that helps us then even live a more sexually pure life, whether we're married or not. Um, We're going to end in just a second, but resources, recommendations, again, in one sense, when the gathering ends in just a couple minutes, come find these folks. I'd love for you to ask them other questions, but just offhand, do you guys have resources that you would recommend to people? I know Tori specifically has one, and Krista maybe does as well. Uh, Yes, I have a couple. um, Making all things new, restoring joy to the sexually broken, very small, very helpful, very pastoral, and it comes at it from both sides of whether you're the victim of sexual sin or you are one who has committed sexual sin. It is very helpful. And another one for particularly maybe those who grew up in more of a conservative church upbringing, um, talking back to purity culture was actually a very helpful resource as well. Hmm. Just really rethinking some of what we learned about this topic. Um, Counterfeit Gods by the late great Tim Keller, um, the empty promises of money, sex, and power, and the only hope that matters. So this is, I think, really foundational to redemption. Um, we've been using this kind of a resource for a long time. Um, but seeking it through like just any struggles, like what they're really deeply connected to has really been helpful. And then the other book is called The Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. Um, I don't have it with me because I let somebody borrow it, but uh, it's a call, I think the, the, the subtitle is like A Call of Full Living. Um, so what it really takes to live your full life.
Awesome. Anything you want to add, Scott? Just ask me later. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. Yeah. The Bible's a good resource, too. Yep, Bible. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to pray in just a second, uh, but the band can begin to come up. Um, but before these folks, stay up here for another second. Um, as you heard at the beginning, I said experts. You can make your own call, but can we thank these folks for being with us this morning and sharing? Let me just pray for us, and then we can all exit the stage as the band prepares to lead us. Jesus, we do thank you that in your family, we get to walk together with you with our brothers and sisters. And so, Jesus, I do pray for Redemption Church, that we would continue to be a place that as we recover and are restored to the story of who we truly are, that that would include our sexuality, our bodies, our marriages, the call to short-term or long-term celibacy. Jesus, thank you that in your promise to us, all things, even right now, are being made new, that you are already on the move restoring things. So God, I ask that Redemption Church, that we would not only grow in this theologically, but that our church would become a safe space, that our church would be a home for those who feel unwanted, either because of their sexual past, because of their current sexual desires, that men, women, children would find healing in the grace of Jesus made real through our relationships together. So Jesus, thank you that your spirit is already on the move, that you already are speaking to us in different ways, even right now. What we would often just say, that's my conscience. No, it is the voice of God often speaking to us. So Jesus, even now as we go to sing, even connect with each other after, I ask God that you would continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.